Welcome to the Enterprise Leaders Podcast, where we discuss the stories and lessons behind successful enterprise businesses. We talk to entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders to learn from their expertise and explore the playbooks that are critical to building category leaders. Please reach out with any feedback or suggestions for guests to podcast at stormventures.com. Your host, Arun Penmetza, a partner at Storm Ventures, an early-stage venture capital firm based in Silicon Valley. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about the product role within companies and what makes a great product leader. Building product is obviously one of the most vital functions within any organization, and we'll try to understand what leads to success in this area. We're very fortunate to have Charanya Kannan with us today. CK is the product officer at TalkDesk and previously has led product teams across a number of companies. CK, thank you so much for joining us. So let's start off with a simple question. What is product management in your view and what typically is the role of a chief product officer or a head of product? Well, first, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. What is product management? Seems like a very simple question, but you'll be amazed that every product leader will probably have a very different definition of product management. And that really shows that product management sometimes is such an ambiguous job. In my view, a role of a product manager is to build a product that customers love, they're willing to pay for, and that helps your business double its revenue every single year. So just to repeat, a role of a product manager is to build a product that customers love, they're willing to pay for, and that helps your business double its revenue every single year. There are three components to it. So the first one is to build the product that your customers love. This is the most important thing. If your customers don't love the product, there is just no point to actually building the product. And as an example, if you take Google Maps, we've all lived in a pre-Google world. But can you imagine now living in a world without Google Maps? I would literally be lost without Google Maps today. So your product should be so useful and valuable to the user that they cannot imagine going back to the old world. And that really helps in stickiness of the product and that helps in retention. The second component that we talked about is the customer is willing to pay for it. This one is a trap and it is so important. It is so important, especially in B2B world where your user is not the buyer. I've fallen into the, this trap many times when the user loves the product, they want more and more of it, but they were not able to go and convince their managers, the buyers who actually had the wallet and who could pay and who had the, 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 the budget allocation to go and purchase the product. So it's a trap sometimes, especially in business to business products where your buyer and user are not the same person. You need to make sure that the second component is really well thought through, which is they're willing to pay for it. The last one is, you know, the ability to grow your revenue twice every year. Uh, I specifically say double because you know that kind of shows the total addressable market is big enough. So you have enough room to grow your product in a much better way. Uh, a lot of times I've seen, you know, us building products when it's such a small market and ultimately as a product manager, it's equally important to think about building a product from larger market so you have the ability to grow on a regular basis. So in summary, I think the role of a product manager is to build a product that customers love, that they're willing to pay for, 
and it helps your business double its revenue every single year. That's a that's a great response, you know, breaking it down into those three areas. I've never actually heard the third one from a product leader, like taking ownership for growing the revenue of the business to some extent. So that's great. And we'll dig into each of these areas coming up. But before we get there, can you talk a bit about what led you to product roles and what your journey has been so far? And obviously you're the head of product talk desk, but what led you to this role? Sure, yeah. I started my career as an engineer and I was fascinated by uh, by product management at that time because I was kind of fascinated to take a step back and look at the bigger picture all the time. And I was thinking of what are the roles where there's clear relation between you making decisions on a day-to-day basis and really moving the needle for the company. Right. And there were only two roles I could think of. One was CEO and one was product manager. I was working in Oracle at that time. Larry Ellison was the CEO and I felt like CEO was a very long path, but I thought product management was a really nice role to kind of like make decisions on a day-to-day basis that impacts the overall growth of the company. I did my master's in actually innovation management, moved to product management at that time. Um, Over the last few years, I did product management. I did product marketing for some time, took on customer support actually at Talkdesk for some time. And now I manage product and engineering together. So this is a slightly uh, different role at Talkdesk. Companies like Amazon, Twilio does it. A lot of companies don't. Uh, But at Talkdesk, you know, I kind of manage product, engineering, design, architecture, all of it, pretty much everything that it takes to make sure that you build that great product. So that's that's kind of like together a talk desk. I actually didn't realize you cover all those different roles. So I think that probably leads into my next question. So one of the things that I think is challenging, but also is a great opportunity in product is you often have to work with teams that don't necessarily report to you, right? You have to convince them that this is the right direction for the business. You have to work with sales and marketing and in a lot of cases, engineering, although in your case, you're heading both teams. So so talk a bit about how that process looks like, because you almost have to inspire and convince people that don't report to you as a product manager. You know, it's uh, this is a very fun question because a lot of people ask this, especially in product management, right? Like I've got this question so many times in the past. It's a tricky one because I actually don't fundamentally agree with that sentiment. That's a different story. That's and great. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm actually fortunate today to manage product and engineering together. But I did start my career as associate product manager and then product manager and then senior. Like So I've been in roles where you are a product manager, you're making a decision, but the team doesn't report into you. Right. So I'm going to talk about the contrary and then I'll, you know, I'll kind of share my thoughts on this one. It's funny because when I was in those roles, I always thought that, you know, when I grow and when I become a leader and when people report into me, then it becomes a lot more easier to convince people. It's actually totally not true. Irrespective of whether you're an individual contributor or the CEO of the company, and I've seen the same thing happen to CEOs a lot of times, you are in the job of pitching your idea every single day. It's not that if people reported into you and you're the CEO, you're going to say, do it, and somebody's going to do it, right? You're you're kind of like convincing them and giving them a reason to work on something every single day. So I think ultimately it doesn't matter if someone reports into you or not. And I do think, you know, ultimately, irrespective of whether people report into you, every single person in the company, for most part, wants to add value in some way and wants to be a part of success, right? So if you're pitching it the right way, you're allowing others to actually add value and be a part of that success. I think you can influence even if you don't have a direct reporting structure. And I've seen so many CEOs having 100% of the ARG report into them still have to go through the exact same process. 
So yeah, I've thought about this a lot from my associate product manager days. I thought every year when I have more and more people, now my team is 800 people. I would have think like, man, man this is going to be a lot more easier. But no, you're always in the business of pitching your ideas and influencing people to work on something irrespective of how many people report into you. Right. To build on that though, is there something you work on, you know, in, in terms of your team and how you build your team or the culture of the company that makes that process easier rather than, you know, more sort of structured hierarchical organizations? Yeah, I would believe that TalkDesk is fortunate in the sense that we're still, you know, we're about 1,500 people today, but we're still a fairly, I think we still have that fairly small company attitude and feeling, with, you know, culture within the company that, you know, end of the day, your title, I think doesn't matter, you know, if you're, right. which team, you know, I've always said, if you're working in a company where title matters so much that you're not able to influence someone because of your title, because of your team, yeah. get out, right? Life's too short to work in such a bureaucratic organization. So I think we've been fortunate at TalkDesk to not have such a bureaucratic team at this point in time. We're fairly small and young. But I think one of the things that also helps is I think we've kind of also in the last few years managed to continue having some level of culture of innovation and experimentation, right? right. Because a lot of times when, when you have to convince a lot, you have to convince someone because the other person is not sure of the outcome. So then you get more questions like what's the value? What's the outcome? So there's a lot more questions. But the reality is no one's ever 100% sure, right? You can never right. be sure that an idea is going to be super successful. Like you just cannot. So um, I think more than that, we've kind of created a culture of innovation and experimentation. How do you create smaller experiments, try it out, fail fast, right? So I think just that culture of experimentation has eliminated some level of excessive convincing and influence. So it's like, hey, what's the big thing? Let's try it out. If it fails, it fails, right? So I think right, right. that's really helped us in, in some ways as well. That's great to hear. And, you know, obviously talk to us speaks for itself. So on the point of the culture of innovation, are there certain metrics or anything you track to figure out where you are on that path? Like whether, as, especially as you scale, right? I think it's, like you said, it's probably easy in a smaller company to see how that's progressing. But as you get to, as you said, 800 people under you, how do you keep track of whether you're sustaining that culture or, you know, it tends to gravitate towards something different? Million dollar question, really hard to answer. But I, I think there are a few things you can do. There are a few things you can measure right? I mean, but from a measurement standpoint, everything that we've done, we do have this like early access phase, GA, like, you know, there's just extensive level of customer validation and feedback that happens. At least for myself, I keep it a mandate that you know, we're all sitting in Zoom meetings what like nine to five every single day, especially right now. Okay. So I've kind of kept a mandate for myself that every week I have to meet four customers. Okay. I just have to, right? It doesn't matter what you talk. You talk about COVID, you talk about product, but you have to meet four customers. And I think the team also tries to meet customers as many times as possible. So we can kind of get that feedback and validation from customers along the way. And we don't go too far and realize something doesn't make sense. And we've had so many such cases in the past as well. So I think some of the early customer feedback helps. And now we're also fortunate to have many, many customers, right? We have about 1,800 customers now. And the best thing about having so many customers is you can actually give them a call anytime and get on a call, right? It's right. it's not hard to get customer meetings. And even more so now because of pandemic, everyone's working remotely. That's right. And, you know, my team, a lot of my teams in Portugal, Armenia, like in different places in, of the world. And I think especially now that you're remote, 
remote, it makes it a lot more easier to just take the phone, give customer a call, show them what you've done and get feedback. Because in the past, you might have taken a flight and taken your entire team. That's so right. now it's just customer feedback, early validation is just so much easier now because we're all working remote as well. Yeah. And no, it's, it's fantastic that you're staying so close to customers, especially as you scale, right? And I think that kind of leads into the next question. You know, your day-to-day, -day, obviously some of it is talking to customers, but I'm sure a lot of it is just building and scaling your team. What does your day look like in this role? If you had asked the same question maybe two years ago or even a year and a half ago at TalkDesk, you know, my answer would have been hair on fire mode, right? It's like we were growing so fast. We were still bringing in few leaders and many of them were fairly new. So I think, you know, even about a year or two ago, it was a bit crazy. I had a lot more dark circle than I have right now. But I think I've kind of been fortunate that at this point in time, because we have a fairly large organization, I'm super excited and glad that we have pretty good leaders. So the way TalkDesk is structured, again, it's slightly different than many other companies. And we did this on purpose is we've set up BU-based structure. So okay. it's kind of like a mission-driven, there's a leader who also manages product, engineering, design, everything it takes to manage that specific product unit. So right. we have about four or five today. And each of those leaders manage about, you know, 100 to 200 people pretty easily. Okay. So because we have those good leaders today, my job has become a lot more easier, which was not the case two years ago. So I think right now in terms of what's my day-to-day uh, -day looks like, I think the first one is making sure that those leaders and the teams set up for success, right? I think, you know, as much as you have everything, there are always roadblocks every single day. There are, there are many things that happen. So how do you make sure that the leaders are set up for success? Because they are super, super smart. They're going to get the job done anyway. But how do you make their life a little bit more easier so they can actually get their job in a much better way? So I think, you know, setting them up for success is the first thing. The second one I would say, which I actually get most excited about is thinking about how we'll talk this grow in two years from now, not this year, not next year, because for most part, you're already set for this year and next year, right? right, right. The, the thing about product is a lot of what you build this year will impact your growth next year and the year after. So we're for most part set for this year and next year, but someone needs to think about what are the very few critical bets and decisions you're making today that will drive your revenue in two years from now. So after setting up the team for success, it is really thinking about after 24 months, months, what's going to happen, not today or tomorrow, but after 24 months, what's going to happen. And then I think the third one really, which is the toughest job in product management is just stakeholder alignment, right? Right. Sales always has expectations from product. Services always has expectations from product. How do you align with everyone so they're set up for success as well? There are minimum surprises as much as possible. So I think those are the three places I spend most of the time setting up the team for success, thinking about you know what bets you need to make today to be successful in two years from now and stakeholder alignment. Those are great points. And I think the second point especially is something, you know at least when I talk to startups, it's something that comes up a lot because... When you're scaling fast, it's easy to become sort of short-term focused. Right. But oftentimes you have to make investments today and you won't see the results for a year or two years out. So I think having that discipline is, is so critical. Right. Um, yeah. I love what I think Amazon has one of those things where it's like, be prepared to be misunderstood or something like that in right, there. Right. 
you know, because a lot of times when you're working on something now that could potentially increase your TAM in two years, like, you know, total addressable market in two years from now, that's right. uh, not many people will buy into that idea and that's okay. You know, you're going to try it out. So, you know, what are maybe two of, or three bets maximum that you would take right now that may not be fruitful this year, but that will help two years from now? I think it's a fun problem to think about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then to your third point, you know, in, in terms of aligning stakeholders, is there any specific process at TalkDesk to make that easier? Like, are there regular meetings between leadership or among the different levels? Or how do you go about that process? Because oftentimes it becomes easy to be in the scenario where each team is focused on their own role. And until there's a fire, you never really have to interact, right? So is there anything specific yeah. or a process you have in place? Yeah, so we do have um, a process here and in my previous job where, you know, you're kind of aligning between the stakeholders on a regular basis. But that said, I do have to say that when you're a 100, 200 people organization, that works so much better than when you're an 800 people organization, right? right? right. And again, growing to hopefully like, you know, over a thousand this year, just in engineering and product. I think the two things in addition to the meetings helps. The first one is top down only takes you so far. Top down meeting and alignment takes you up on until you're like 200, 300 people. But when you're 800 plus, your teams, your product managers have to be aligned on a day-to-day basis, right? So there's some process, there's just like hiring good people to make sure they're aligned. But I think the meetings at the top level helps. But I think product managers really going at every level and having that alignment really helps. So that's the first one. The second one is, gosh, meetings after meetings after meetings. So just documenting things as much as possible. And especially now where we have teams in easily five, six plus countries. Right. And even if you want to have meetings, you literally have this two hours overlap to have all of those alignment meetings together. So, you know, how do you like document it? Every time something changes, you communicate it. So we do have mechanisms to like document the roadmap. Anytime something changes, they're aware, right? So just making work asynchronous as much as possible. But we do continue to have meetings, but I think they're not as effective in a much larger organization as right. they were when we were much smaller. And then, so on that last point, I'm sure one of the things you've done is probably use more and more technology, right? As you've scaled. And today, there's a lot of tools that have come out maybe in the last three, five years that specifically focus more on product as opposed to, you know, on sales and marketing. How much of this is using technology versus, like you said, hiring, you know, smart people and having the right processes in place? Yeah, I think in the world of product management, yeah, I've tried a number of tools. They're good, right? So we've used Product Boat before, ProdPath. So there are different tools that are really helpful. I do think in the world of product management, ultimately it does come down to like the right person and the right process more than the tools and technology itself, right? Because you can have those tools and technologies, but a lot of times if the content is not there and if you're not keeping it up to date, it's a problem. So I think at least for product management, I've tried a number of tools and they're all fantastic. They're great. But I think just having that regular cadence and one of the things we did at TalkDesk is we do have a leader for product operations and enablement. Okay. And it really helps. So last year, for example, we had 2020, which is 20 products product launches in the first 20 weeks of 2020. Wow. Okay. It was exciting. But yeah. think about launching 20 products and the enablement for that, updating the pricing, training the sales team. So that entire thing, it's tough.
stuff, right? So I think that's where we brought in a team that just focuses on product operations and enablement. Of course, there's marketing team. Of course, there's sales enablement, but we were just moving so fast. It was hard for us to keep up. And I think having this product ops and enablement person kind of like creating the right processes really helped as well. But in all seriousness, we need to still get so much better at that. Right. No, it's a constant journey. So but, but yeah, it sounds like you guys are doing really well. So shifting gears to people a little bit, you know, you, you talked about hiring great people. Are there certain things you do in terms of training or how do you incentivize the team in the right way to, like you said, you know, the three things you mentioned at the beginning of the meeting so that they're focused on those yeah, I think the uh, the step one, I mean, within TalkDesk, in terms of that focus and alignment, uh, many companies use different mechanisms, right? So in some cases, people use OKRs. I think we've all used like smart objectives before. So TalkDesk uses V2M2, vision values, methods, and measures. So step one is making sure that everyone is clear on what success looks like. And we do spend a large amount of time in sharing that sharing that again in oversharing that. Actually, this morning, I was in a three hours meeting where every VP shared their V2M2. So the, the vision, values, methods, and measures. So from, you know, before incentivizing success, you need to know what success is. So based on that, you can rally your troops and kind of work toward that, right? So that's the first one. In terms of, you know, how are you kind of like exciting people, incentivizing? It depends a lot. You know, some people are excited by the opportunity to grow, right? Some people are excited by different mechanisms so it's it's really different per team, even within TalkDesk, different for marketing versus product versus engineering, right? It's it's really different. But step one is setting those goals, and then each of the managers understanding what incentivizes each you know each employee, and in some cases, in most cases, making sure that they have the right growth and career path within the company, and especially within product and engineering. At TalkDesk, we have a lot of employees who actually are just out of college, right? So kind right. of like showing them not only what success looks like for the company, but what success looks like for them in two years from now and three years from now, right? Right. Sometimes I end up telling the person that I'm going to give you a promotion in a year and a half from now, if these things happen, like you're kind of letting them know what success looks like for them, right? So I think some of those helps as well, but being clear on what success looks like for the company and for that employee, I think helps. Yeah. And it's fantastic that you can provide that clarity at the individual level, right? Because I think oftentimes you can focus at the company level and then each person has to figure out how they get to that goal for the company. But it sounds like you're doing it for the individual. Right. I think for that now, to your previous point on technology, there are a lot of like good, you know, technology and softwares where you're kind of like capturing their goals in a much better way, right? Making sure they're aligned, making sure you're tracking them. I think especially in the last few years, some of the people management growth technologies have just like, you know, improved quite a bit. So I think we use some of them to help us align not only on company-wide goals, but individual goals as well in a better way. So, you know, obviously the world changed a year and a half ago with COVID and a lot of companies had to adjust how they work. From a product perspective, you mentioned earlier, just in terms of reaching out to customers, that changed because you're no longer getting on planes, but you can do Zoom calls. How has your experience in terms of just leading the product team and how you operate internally changed as a result of COVID? If there's one thing I probably underestimated, right? I I think one of the big,
biggest, toughest things that I've kind of gone through in the last several years overall is probably the last 12 months, right? So managing an 800 people organization across like four to five countries when every single person is completely remote in a company where we did not start remote first, right? I think few started remote first in a company that had to kind of move to remote first model. It was really, really hard. And I think all of us together kind of like, you know, it was a learning process. And I think the hardest thing is communication and inspiration, right? So when you're, I'm, I'm a huge fan of context versus control. You would have seen, again, the Netflix culture, right? So context versus control. If someone's, you know, when you have such a large team, you are not making decisions. You're not making most of the decisions. Your team right. is making most of the decisions. But how do you make sure that they have all the context that's required to make decisions on a day-to-day basis? And it's even more important for product managers who are making decisions every single day. And the toughest part about working completely remotely, especially in the last 12 months, is how do you make sure that you're passing this context as much as possible without sitting on yet another meeting? Right. If there's one area where I probably spend my most time right now, or kind of at least like, you know, top of mind is how do you make sure that people have context, people know what's happening and how can we do it without sitting in one more meeting? Right. Should we create videos and send it to them? Should we write documents and send it to them? Right. Because there's a lot of decisions that are being made in the field every single day. How do you kind of, you know, share the context with them and inspire the teams and motivate them as well? It was definitely much tougher for the last 12 months, but I, I feel like just when we're starting to learn and get better, people are going to probably end up going back to office, right? right but, uh, but, but yeah, I think we're always going to be most likely hybrid structure. So that's right. It was, it was definitely tough on how do you make sure you communicate that context and inspire people. We've tried many different mechanisms. Now I actually have every Friday, I have a block for a few hours and the meeting, of course, sometimes it gets, you know, booked over and things like that. But, but my internal block that I have is vision videos. So mm. every Friday, if there is a chance, I can kind of create some videos just like we're talking, right? I, that's yeah. why I have this microphone here just to create videos. So creating videos and sharing with the team so that they know what's happening on a regular basis. Because in the past, you would do a lot more lobby conversations, which we don't do anymore. So how do you kind of like just create some video content and keep pushing to the team so they know what's happening as well? That's a great point. Actually, I I haven't heard that many companies where they consistently create content more for internal use as opposed to external use for customers or analysts or whatever. So yeah, that's a great Yeah, uh, I mean, I I think the the teams have more questions than they've ever had before. And we have less time than we've ever had before to answer those questions as well because of just too many meetings, right? We're experimenting a few areas, but we'll see if it works out. But I think video, at least I'm a huge fan of that. So we'll see if that if that works out. If that works. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned earlier there's a lot of young people or people out of college that join TalkDesk. For product roles specifically, do you have any advice for someone considering a product role? Like how to think about going over to product as, as you mentioned your journey versus some other role yeah for sure I think when I when I wanted to move to product this was over 10 years ago you know it was actually it was interesting because right now moving to product there's a lot more openness to consider 
you know, you're joining from your engineering school or you're kind of like taking a lateral move from marketing to product or support to product. I think it's a lot more open. When I try to move to product from engineering, it felt almost impossible. So you had to do your like, you know, MBA or something like that to move to product, right? right? I think when product management started, there was some expectations in terms of what's required to be a successful product manager, which I think right now it's it's changing over the years as people learn more and more about the role. So yeah, it was a lot more tougher back then. Right now, the step one I would say is if you're interested, try it out, right? And I go to Clubhouse sometimes and it's amazing how many people want to move to product management. And, you know, like if you're in a company already in an engineering role or a support role or services role or any roles, step one, the easiest thing to do sometimes is to ask. Ask your manager, hey, can I move to product management for one release or two releases, right? Product releases are usually a few months. So can I move to product management for like six months, right? So try it out. For all you know, you may love it. For all you know, you may not love it, right? So you can at least make the decision in terms of does it make sense for you or not? But I think some form of a rotation program where asking always helps. And then if there's someone who's kind of looking at product management just out of college, it's the same thing. There's a lot of internship programs for product management as well, and that helps. The only thing I would say is, you know, just kind of thinking about product management, you made this interesting comment when I talked about the definition of product management, right? I said, building product that customers love, that they'll pay for that helps your company double your revenue every single year, right? A lot of times in product management, we talk about the first, maybe the second, but we don't talk about the third at all. And the most successful product leaders that I've seen in many cases, there's no rule of thumb, but in many cases are people who've kind of like tried to be a CEO before, even for a small company, and then they move to product roles, right? It, it's it's a different type of thinking process. So I think even if you're joining uh, product management, just out of college or any other roles, you know, think about the end in mind, eyes on the price, which is ultimately you're growing your company, right? And everything else, like how do you make your customer love your product so that you can grow. And I see so many times people are so excited about product manager, but not thinking about like, how does it impact your revenue and company growth? You know, my, if there's one piece of advice I'd give anyone who's kind of transitioning to product management, always think big picture, take your goals, double it and go for it, right? So that's one of the things that I'd probably share. That's a good rule of thumb, I think for everyone, like take your goals and double it. So that's a good point. That's always motto, yes. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, product, obviously, like you mentioned, there's a, you do focus on the big picture, but there's a number of things day to day that keep you busy. Is there just stepping away from product? Is there anything else you do like personally or something to balance out? Because I'm sure product can take over your life, like the role can take over your life in many ways. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if I'm the best person to talk about that. I mean, I think I'm one of those people where my personal and professional life line is blur. It's it's not very hard, right? For a lot of people, it's like, hey, when I'm in my personal time is my personal time. My professional time is my professional time. Right. I do enjoy, you know, me time and hiking and, you know, like yoga and, and many things. But I think my, my personal life and professional life kind of work very much hand in hand. Actually, my husband happens to be in product as well. So, you know, on a Friday night when we're drinking wine and, you know, having cheese, we're probably watching John Donahoe or F- Frank Slootman <laughs> on the TV. So, um, and we end up geeking about product topics quite a bit. So I think, 
you know, my, in my world, at least the professional and personal lifeline is very blur and, and I'm okay with it, but I do appreciate that it's not for a lot of people and it makes sense. But yeah, I think the things that's really helped this year has been fantastic. I love travel, but gosh, no travel for the last 12 months. I right, love right. it. I could actually step out of my house. No flight cancellations. I never had to sleep in the airport, which, which <laughs> I've done so many times. So this year was actually pretty well balanced compared to most other years for me. Yeah, it's a silver lining, you know, given everything else. So. Yeah. so, you know, I guess one final question, obviously, a lot of changes in the industry in the last year. Where do you think, you know, from a product perspective will be in the next two to three to five years? If you, you know, if you had a crystal ball, is there anything else you would think about in that sense? Uh, from a product perspective as, as product management? Yeah, would product management evolve? Is, are there new frameworks or just a way of thinking, you know, compared to maybe like five, 10 years ago, you know, you, you talked about how initially it was really hard to get into product without doing some kind of degree or some kind of previous education. But like five years yeah. from now, where do you think the industry will be moving to or the role or the function? I really haven't given that a whole lot of thought, but I, I really do think that in the next five years, most of the products, the type of products we're building will change a lot, right? So right. of course, we've been talking about AI and automation and machine learning for a long time. That is the future, right? In five years from now. So right now for a lot of companies, that's like an icing on the cake, right? That's right. I do think in five years from now, that is the product, right? So every product, you know, the machine learning and automation and AI is going to be such a huge component of product, 80 to 90% or even more, that I think the role of product managers uh, or the type of product managers that you need would slightly change as well to kind of accommodate that type of products, I think. Right. I mean, I, I don't know if product management as a rule would change, but the type of products would. So if, you know, if you have, for anyone who's watching anyone who's in product management, if you can work on pet projects or work within the company on, you know, machine learning, AI and automation, I would take that opportunity, right? Because that's going to be the future in five years from now, whether you like it or not. And, you know, I think it's important for you to make sure that you have the right skill set to manage that type of a product in a few years from now, because right. that is going to be every product. That makes sense. And, you know, we didn't talk about it too much here, but just in terms of go-to-market, I think product-led go-to-market is a lot more common now than I think five, 10 years ago, it was more sales-driven, right? So so I think as product leaders, I think, you know, have to be a lot more engaged towards the third point that you mentioned, because the way you build the product and how you measure customer engagement and all that is critical for driving the go-to-market too. Yeah, I, I think some of those rules are changing as well. Um, you know, most successful companies now have product-led growth, right? Like how is product driving new sales? How is product driving upsell much easier, right? So that's that's happening for sure. And, you know, also as much as possible in product growth. So, you know, your product can grow vital, right? It's, it's a lot more tougher in large enterprise B2B versus, you know, consumer products or SMBs, but there's right. definitely an option and opportunity there. So yeah, like product led growth is something that at least my CEO, you've probably met him before. Tiago and I talk quite a bit about, and I think most successful companies are definitely adopting the product led growth mindset a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, CK, that's all I had in terms of questions. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I, I think I've learned a lot and I hope you enjoyed it too. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Enterprise Leaders Podcast with Storm Ventures. If you like our content, make sure to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Till next time.